our Thanksgiving may just be watching uh, the personal history of David Copperfield. Oh, great. And drinking a lot of champagne. Can I just, okay, to get you extra hyped for this movie, let me just tell you, there is a scene where Peter Capaldi and Hugh Laurie team up and it is all you want from a movie. That's incredible, mostly because it took me a very long time whenever I saw Peter Capaldi on my TV screen. It took me a very long time to realize that that wasn't Hugh Laurie. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen movies and romantic comedies. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, library manager and uh, uh, COVID navigator at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Maren Hagman, adult services librarian. Um, And yes, also... In in COVID navigation mode, um, with my, this week my library switching back to a curbside service model, so also very much on my mind. Yep, as is mine. Um, thank goodness, I think all of us can, you know, breathe a little easier uh, if we are not having to um, deal with the public in person on a daily basis. Um, libraries do continue to. Uh, try new ways of serving our our public uh we're all doing the best we can um but i i am feeling no small amount of relief that i get to revert back to working from home in our other capacities we also serve as your ya lit and romance uh experts um in our capacity as hosts of this show (laughs) Today, we are going to be talking about the 2020 Netflix original Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes uh, is was written by Jack Thorne, Nancy Springer, and based on the book The Case of the Missing Marchess, an Enola Holmes mystery. Uh, it was directed by Harry Bradbeer, and it stars Millie Bobby Brown as Enola Holmes, Henry Cavill as Sherlock Holmes, Sam Claflin as Mycroft Holmes, Helena Bonham Carter as Eudoria Holmes, Lewis Partridge as the Marchess of Tewksbury, uh, and a bunch of other people. Marin, would you like to give us a brief synopsis of Enola Holmes? Which we should preface at the top of this show this time. Uh, spoilers for Enola Holmes oh, yes. will follow. This movie is new enough uh, that I think that if you would like to watch it spoiler-free, you should go ahead and do that. Pause the pause the podcast and come back and rejoin us once you have finished watching the film. Good point. Good point. Um, yes, this is a... Uh... This was a movie released, um, I believe, on Netflix due to the pandemic. Um, I, I imagine it was initially intended to a um, theatrical release. Um, and it is the story of Enola Holmes, the younger sister of Mycroft and Sherlock Holmes, um, who on her 16th birthday wakes up to find that her mother is gone. 
Um, her brothers come um, for the first time in a long time, um, come to the family home, um, wherein Mycroft, now becoming her legal guardian, um, intends to send her to a finishing school. Um, Enola discovers that her mother has left her um, secret messages, um, which gives her money, and she runs away on a train, um, wherein she encounters the Viscount Tewksbury, um, and although she decides that he is a, quote, nincompoop, end quote, um, does see that he, um, is being hunted, uh, by a man in a bowler hat, uh, played by Burn Gorman, which we will most assuredly talk about, um, and so she helps him escape from the train, um, and they both travel to London, um, while in London, um, she is trying to track down her mother, um, using coded messages, um, she does find, she knew that her mother wrote letters to one person in London, um, who she finds and turns out was working with her mother, um, in the, the suffragette cause, um, while tracking down part of their, you know, I don't want to say suffragette plot because that has a, like, negative connotation. Their plan. Their suffragette plan. Um, she is also attacked by Bowler Hat Burn Gorman, um, who thinks he, who thinks she still knows where the Viscount is, um, realizing that she should probably help the Viscount, um, slash that she can address finding her mother later. Um, she goes to the Viscount's, she dresses up as a widow, goes to the Viscount's family, um, to try and, um, kind of figure out what's going on there. Um, she runs into Inspector Lestrade, um, who it turns out Mycroft has sent to hunt her down. Um, Enola finds the Viscount again, um, and tries to warn him of the danger, um, but she is found by Lestrade, sent to the dreaded finishing school. Um, the Viscount busts her out, um, by pretending, um, by coming in as a package. He pretends to be a package, um, and they get, um, they're able to escape. Um, she decides that they need to go back to his family home to, um, address basically who's been trying to kill him, um, Turns out it was his grandmother all along who wanted to stop him from voting yes on a reform bill that would expand the vote, the same bill that um, her mother has been working with her group of suffragettes to pass. Um, the Viscount does some clever switcheroo to avoid getting with a, a suit of armor uh, to avoid getting shot by his grandmother. Um... In the same time, Sherlock figures out that it must have been the grandmother, um, and Lestrade points out to him that Enola solved it first. Um, Enola gets a decoded message that she realizes is pretending to be from her mother, but is actually from Sherlock. Um, she decides not to meet up with them, but just kind of watches them, um, and notices that Sherlock leaves, like, a childhood trinket for her, so has an idea that, like, oh, Sherlock might actually care about her well-being. Um, and then her mother turns up, um, 
and her mother, you know, lets her know that she's proud of her, um, but she still has to go and do her work. Um, and so Enola is set up, um, to become a detective in London, um, much like her big brother, um, and yeah, and the movie leaves us there. So what do we think of Enola Holmes? So real quick, before we get into that, Mm -hmm. are you aware of the lawsuit pending against Netflix by the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? I am. Um, Okay. And and, and I think actually that launches us uh, nicely into the discussion. And one of my key moments from this movie. So listeners... Um, this lawsuit, so the majority of Sherlock Holmes stories are in the public domain, but there is a subset of, like, the last stories published, um, about him are still held by the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which, insert rant about the U.S. copyright system here, um, blame Disney, blame Disney, um, and Sonny Bono, um, and... Um, in those stories, Sherlock becomes a much kinder and more compassionate person, um, and the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is alleging that Netflix is stealing this more compassionate version of Sherlock from those stories still held in copyright. So basically, they're saying Sherlock Holmes has too many feelings. Yes. In this movie. Can I read you, um... A uh, a snippet from the what is this? Um, it's a motion filed on behalf of Netflix, so I imagine it is um, either a motion to dismiss or a motion in response to the lawsuit. Yes, please. In which the Netflix lawyer alleges, uh, in this case, even if the emotion trait and respect trait were original to copyright protected works, which they are not. They are unprotectable ideas. Copyright <laughs> law does not allow the ownership of generic concepts like warmth, kindness, empathy, or respect, even as expressed by a public domain character, which, of course, belongs to the public, not to the plaintiff. And drop Mike. <laughs> um, yeah, when I heard about that lawsuit, I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you can't copyright character development. <laughs> Um, and what's funny, though, so that does leave me in. So I do, leaving all the bogus copyright stuff aside, I do actually, to me, that leads me into, like, one of the things that puzzles me about this movie and that, and, and I have to distinguish here between what I just need to let go of my preconceived notions of Sherlock and Minecraft Holmes versus, like, what is an actual, like, artistic critique, but I... And again, this might be embedded in my vision of who the characters of Sherlock and Mycroft are, but I I really did not like the, like, kind of bifurcation of Sherlock as this, like, kind, sympathetic, with a very nice jawline, thanks Henry Cavill, um, and, and Mycroft as this, like, pompous, controlling, um very sad mustache wearing um which is particularly sad for me because i think sam claflin is a very attractive human being um and everyone should go see the movie love rosie um but i actually found 
And again, this was maybe just my head wrestling with my notions of who Sherlock and Mycroft are, but I actually found that very distracting, that this movie, like, really went down this, like, well, one of them's good and one of them's bad. Um, and again, maybe that's just because I know from other portrayals, like, Mycroft is actually, the, the joke is that Mycroft is actually much smarter than Sherlock, um, and that he just chooses to work in super secret spy government work versus being a detective for, um, and, you know, a, a chunk of the series is, like, Mycroft kind of not lording it over Sherlock, but, um, Mycroft never wants to leave his home, but is still, like, completely aware of what these situations are, and even from behind closed doors, like, is a master, um, not, like, statesman, but, like, manipulates all these things from behind closed doors. So, like, knowing that context of, like, and, and again, I think it's meant to be, like, a joke that, like, oh, here's this brilliant Sherlock Holmes. Well, his older brother, Mycroft, is even smarter. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but, yeah, I just found, and, again, I don't know if it's just working against the portrayal or if I genuinely was, like, oh, I kind of don't like this, like, black and white. Like, one is good, one is bad. Like, so what I think the movie is trying to do. And I'm going to preface this by saying I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I thought it was very fun. Um, I thought it was, you know, it, it was exactly what it needed to be for me, which was a fun sort of low stakes adventure where I was never all that concerned that the people that I cared about were going to be in danger. Yeah. What I think the movie is trying to do with Mycroft and Sherlock is to show that both of them care about both of them care for Enola, but they are showing that in very different ways. And they are both showing that affection. They're both showing that affection in basically the ways that they know how, but because Enola is more like Sherlock, she responds better to how Sherlock shows affection. And because the movie is from her point of view, that means we, the audience, respond better to that. Okay, I, so you read it in a much... See, I, I came out of this movie thinking it had a much less sympathetic take to Mycroft. But I can see what you're saying. I think it does. And like I said, I, what I don't think the movie does very well is make it clear that we are seeing both of these characters from Enola's point of view. Mm. Because from her point of view, what Mycroft is doing is very bad. Like, she does not want to go to finishing school. She appreciates having her freedom. Like, Mycroft is a character who doesn't understand her, but is trying to take care of her in the only way that he knows how. Well, and I think, okay, that's a good way to see it. Because, yeah, I think for me, like, part of the frustration was, like, yeah, maybe, maybe just, like, visit, viewing it that way of, like, as a teenager, it would make sense that, like, Mycroft is trying to set her up for what he sees as a solid future, which includes finishing school, which includes being in society, which includes, like, all that, you know, all that entails, um, and Enola doesn't want to do that. Um, but Mycroft sees kind of putting her into that as the best way forward for her future. And I, well, yeah. and then what the movie, what the movie fails to do is the movie fails at any point to let Mycroft be sympathetic to the audience. Right. Which is where I think like having a beat where we could have seen him be like, I just want to know that she's going to be taken care of. Like having having a moment, and I think the movie comes close, but I it's 
clearly not explicit enough for us to read it. Like I'm doing a lot of extrapolating here. Yeah. And I think the movie could have used a moment that let Mycroft be like, she's my sister. Like you and I are so busy and mom is crazy. Well, not crazy. Mom is like self-obsessed. Well, not even that. Just like mom has her stuff to do and is clearly letting that be her priority right now. Um, But I think like his insistence on having her be like his insistence when he's like, she's my ward. Like I get to make these decisions. He's the older brother. He's he's trying to step in to take care of Enola in the only way that he knows how, which is not compatible with how Enola is used to living and wants to live. So I think so I'm really glad you got that interpretation out of it because I think that's what I want. And I, I think you're right that they maybe planted those breadcrumbs there but they really needed to flesh that out because oh yeah it comes across as just like cartoony villain in a lot of moments like especially like um him working with Lestrade which also like kind of annoyed me because in every iteration of Sherlock Holmes like Lestrade is just this like solid dude who's there to help and crack like witty one-liners like and and so I really was kind of disconcerted by seeing this version of Lestrade that is not um you know that is not that and again and I I do question myself of like how much is this just like my attachment to to what I've seen in previous iterations of this character versus like how much does this like actually not work in the context of this movie um but I but I, I think we are getting at the like yeah, this movie needed to give Mycroft some more nuance. Um, and um, I think that in getting back to what you're saying about, like, yeah, we're really seeing this through Enola's eyes, um, I think they do set that up a lot with the fourth wall breaks, which I think it's a testament to, like, Millie Bobby Brown's skills as an actor that that works. Um, I, I found the wall breaks quite charming. Um, but... Yeah, but just, like, from an adult perspective, it's just like, well, yeah, he's trying to, like, find a new, like, living situation for you. And, like, you might not want to go to school, but it's not, like, inherently evil that he, like, wants you to go to school. Like. Yeah, and I I also think it's important to remember that because we're seeing this from Enola's perspective, like me as an adult, and I, I also think it's important to keep in mind that this is probably a movie who's like the, the sweet spot for the audience for this movie is like 13 to 14 year olds. That's a good which, point. Which matters because I, as an adult, look at what Mycroft is doing and I think it is totally reasonable that he would want his 16 year old sister right. to be in a place with like consistent supervision. Yep. <laughs> boundaries and things like that. Whereas I think that from a teenager's point of view, they could see that and go, well, she can clearly take care of herself. So, like, I don't know what Mycroft's problem is. Um, but adult me is going, no, Enola, you do actually need somebody to make sure you do things <laughs> like eat. <laughs> well, and it was funny watching this for me. Um, so I did rewatch it. And I will say I did. I think I got a lot more out of this movie on second viewing than I did on the first. Um, I It was funny for me watching this movie this week when I just watched the new um, Ianucci David Copperfield. And is that 
like the very very new one the very very new one it just came out on i mean you do have to pay amazon 15 dollars. but is that you know with the one with, is that the one with dev patel uh-huh oh my god <laughs> public service announcement you ah! can pay amazon for, I, I assume itunes too i just my pete is hooked up to the itunes i'm hooked up to the amazon so i i paid through amazon but um yeah public oh, service so, announcement I'm that so. is a, available on video on demand it's great everyone should go watch it um legitimately sidebar sorry audience (laughs) i was legitimately just thinking the other day that i hadn't heard anything about the plans for release for that one and that i was sad because we were slated to get two um two dev patel movies this year that covid killed so green knight i want you so badly um i i'm really excited that's what i'm doing um on my day off on wednesday excellent i highly oh yes great use of your time um, I the number of times I googled like David Copperfield video on demand like the the amount of time I spent scouring for any info and they just like quietly released it this week I think I found out on Twitter, um, but so I the reason I bring it up um is because one really interesting thing that movie does is they that I think contrasts with this is like. So a big chunk of David's childhood is spent working in a factory and going to school for him is just this like, oh, I get to go to school. And they have one like very negative portrayal of school early in his childhood and then another where he's like, oh, I get to go to school and it's great and I make all these friends. Um, And so it was just interesting to me to like see this contrast. And I, I also bring it up because... Um, two great British actors are playing the various head school peoples um, in Noel Holmes, Fiona Shaw, and in um, David Copperfield, Anna Maxwell Martin, who um, is one of my favorite British period drama actors. Um, so it was just, it was just such a contrast to me. And like, yeah, like we as adults know that like, um, this is probably, yeah, like, a safe, predictable environment for her. Um, but just, like, seeing it through her eyes as, like, oh, I'm being locked away with all these other girls. Like, oh, um, was really interesting. I do kind of wish they'd done more with the other students at the boarding school. Right! Um, like, having them... If we if we'd gotten a chance to spend a little bit more time with them, like maybe they could have helped her leave. Like I don't know, I feel like that was a wasted opportunity, especially because I I will say, um, Tewksbury did not do it for me. Oh really? I will say I, on second watch, I was like, oh yeah, he does it for me. Like their chemistry, it's good. I'm here for this much more than I was on the second watch. I I think it is. In terms of teen romance chemistry, him being a little cutie, especially with that haircut, like, that did it for me. I was like, okay, yeah. That was actually a big part of why I got probably more enjoyment out of the second watching than the first. Because I was just like, yep, I'm in on this. This is great. I had to do some kind of expectation readjustment. I don't know how well they handle the shift from her leaving to try and find her mother to her helping Tewksbury out. That like, does feel abrupt. It is. Like I said, I, I, I don't know how well they handle it. 
Um, especially because I really wanted to know more about Eudora Holmes. <laughs> like, right. I found her to be both a fascinating character and also frustrating because we don't really learn a whole lot about her, just that she's kind of involved in this suffrage movement and at some point decides that it's acceptable to just leave her 16-year-old daughter alone in a house while she goes and is political. I have thoughts about that. Oh, Um, yeah. And I... Yeah. And it it was interesting because while Enola is giving us this almost like catalog of, well, my mother believes this and my mother does this and my mother taught me this. Like she's almost giving us this like absolute catalog because, you know, clearly Eudora is the most important person in her life. But at the same time, we're getting that Eudora herself as a character is so opaque. Like we don't know... We have a vague idea what her mission is, but it's not clear. We don't know what, like, what prompted her to go from being presumably, like, society matron who, like, has a nice big house to, like, I'm going to focus my energies on bringing, you know, bringing up my young daughter, having this small manor house, treating my servants really well, working with suffragettes. Like, we don't know how or when that happened. And, like, that contrast between, like, clearly this is a woman who, like, raised children who went out into society and have some money to, okay, this is a woman who's literally going to abandon her daughter because she believes so hard in this cause like we just we that's completely opaque we don't get any of that yeah so then we are asked like before we can even start to unravel the mystery of her mother we are then asked to care about um this politically inert boy (laughs) who (laughs) Inola runs into on the train um, I really likes plants. I found that he really, does really like plants. I found I, that moment where he was like, "Well, this is what we can eat in the field." I found that very endearing. And I again, I think this is a function of me watching this movie as an adult. But whenever now, whenever I encounter a teen who's running away from like their duty, part of me is always just like, "Suck it up and do the thing." <laughs> Which, honestly, is not fair for somebody who is born (laughs) into a role like this guy is. Like, Yeah. And and does he... Okay, I'm trying to remember my chronology. Like, he has not figured out someone's trying to kill him yet, right? Like, he just wants to, like, go off to the great beyond. Yeah, he doesn't figure that out until Enola's like, Hey, I tracked down your childhood treehouse, and that branch that almost fell on you was totally cut. Somebody is out to get you. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, and this is the, like, Holden Caulfield, like, I feel like I had the experience of, I never read Catcher in the Rye growing up, and now I never want to, because I feel like if I do, I'm we have gonna... We have missed that window. Exactly, like, it, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just gonna roll my eyes the whole time. Like, I I feel like you're at, you're bang on that, like, a teen understands that, like, well, I just need to get away. And although, to be fair, I don't know that I would have understood that as a teen because that was not the type of teen I was. Um, 
which might be a testament to my, testament to my parents. Thanks, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, yeah, it does just ring like because I and I I think you're right too that like this like here's Enola who has this very like critical mission like. I need to find my mom because she is supposed to be taking care of me um, to like, eh, I'm just like running away because I don't want to be a Marquess. Like, yeah, like that, that is a bit jarring. And they, they get around that a little bit by having her reiterate, like my mother always taught me, my mother always I try I tried to say taught and told at the same time and ended up just sounding like I was trying to fake a British accent. Um like my mother tried to teach me to do the right thing and make the right choice even when it's hard and like helping this guy is the right move. Um I don't know, it just it felt like fitting both of those mysteries into one movie made it feel a little overstuffed. Mm. Where I sort of wonder if there was a way to get her out of the house and helping Tewksbury and then at the end finding out that her mother is missing. And then that becomes movie number two. Yeah. And I th- I think that that makes sense. Because I, I, I think that this movie... So I couldn't decide when I was done watching this movie if it had the Marvel problem of clearly it left us with a setup. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it left us like, Oh, okay. And we're ready for Enola Holmes too. Um, but then I thought back and I was like, okay, well she did actually really have some stakes and an arc here. Um, but yeah, you're right. Maybe it's just, I'm reacting to like, it does feel a little overstuffed that like, she doesn't just go through the one arc of, Oh, this cute boy I found on a train is maybe going to get murdered. Um, but also, my mother left me and I need to find out where she went. And yeah, maybe those could be separate stories. Because they're clearly setting up for a sequel. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think, in fact, in the book series, correct me if I'm wrong, but does she not, like, find her mother until, like, the end like, isn't that just, like, a through line? I don't actually know. Um, But, yeah, I think that that would have made a good... Like, it's a little confusing now about what exactly book two will cover now that we've found her mother at the end. Right. Um, I, I don't... That, that feels a little bit like they couched the movie. Like... If we are successful, then we can just pull out another case of the week. And if we're not, then we have still put a bow on everything that we wanted to do. Yeah, it's really trying to have it both ways. And I just think it would have been a more satisfying experience if we could have focused on one of those stories. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, or even, like you said, even if we just had, like, the thread of, oh, my mom's missing, this is propelling me to move to London, but, like, really, what we're doing in this story, the arc in this story is we save my crush from being murdered. Like. Yeah. But, like, huh, still wonder where mom is, you know, like. 
Yeah, I think if they really wanted to have that carryover and have that potential, like, yeah, they could have just spent, like, less time with the mom story and just invested us more in the Marcus story and just kind of left as a thread. Any other thoughts on Enola Holmes? Oh, you wanted to talk about Burn Gorman. Oh, I did want to talk about Burn Gorman. It for me and I the reason I thought you might want to as well because I do know your love of Pacific Rim. And it was very uncomfortable for me to see Burn Gorman be a bad guy because my first introduction to him was the 2005 Bleak House miniseries where he plays just like the most like obsequious sweetheart dude named mr guppy and so every time i see him i just think mr guppy and i'm just always like why is mr guppy being evil so i have a hard time seeing him as a villain can i admit something to you hmm did not know who this guy was until i looked at his imdb page right now oh okay (laughs) so yes i my my shameful admission is that even though pacific rim is one of my top five favorite movies of all time did not recognize Burn Gorman until I looked at his IMDb page. Uh, he, of course, plays the scientist Herman Gottlieb in Pacific Rim. Um, and this just shows that I'm haircut blind. Without his uh, very terrible haircut in Pacific <laughs> Rim, did not recognize him. He does have a truly terrible haircut in Pacific Rim. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> um but yeah, for me, it was since I, my first introduction to him was this very, like, obsequious, like, total, like, non-entity of a character. Sure. It was really weird to watch him punch poor little Millie Bobby Brown. That was rough. Yeah. And, this like, try was... to drown her. Yeah, this movie was not playing around. <clears throat> <clears throat> In that way, at least. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the martial arts, I do think we need to at least give a shout out, if not talk um, about definitely the the best scenes in the movie, which all um, involve Edith, um, played by Susie Wokomoa, who is the um, martial arts instructor um, that Enola... Um, it has realized is the the person that her mother has been writing to and um, was Anola's first martial arts teacher um, who, who gives what I think is the best scene in the movie where she explains to Sherlock that um, he doesn't understand why Anola or her mom would try to um, change the systems of the world because they all work so well for him. I enjoyed that very much. I wish that Edith had gotten more to do. True. Um, because she basically just exists for the white people to show up and to have her like redirect them in the correct way. And I thought that the the actress who plays her, did you say who? Uh, her name Susan is... Susan Wakoma. Yeah. Yeah, Susan Wakoma and the character, I think, deserved more evidence of... An internal life, because right now, right now, you just get the very strong impression that she like works with Eudoria, um, and is helping Enola. But you don't really, other than outside of that, you don't really get a sense of who she is or what she wants or what her motivations are. And 
to be one of the few characters of color in this movie and only really exist in service of the white characters was a little rough. I mean, I just wanted her to be in the movie more. Yeah, that too. Like, she's great. I agree with you. I think that scene where she dresses down Sherlock was definitely one of the best in the movie. And I was like, I want to know everything about this woman. Like, yeah. where did she learn? Where did she learn martial arts? Yeah. Because <laughs> she's teaching a class when we meet her. And that ruled. That did. That did. How do we feel about the um, Adil Akhtar who plays Inspector Lestrade? Um, I mean, again, I was just, like, sad to see a version of Lestrade where he's not the, like, comes in with the good one-liners and just, like, kind of helps Sherlock out, like, um, and kind of gives Sherlock, like, a little dose of reality. Like, I feel like Lestrade is usually there to, like, kind of put things into perspective. Um... So I thought that um, Adil Akhtar did a good job. It just was a, like, conception of that character that was jarring to me. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of incarnations of Inspector Lestrade. My personal favorite is the kind of... My personal favorite is when he gets to act a lot like Commissioner Gordon in Batman. Where right. he's like... I, I like I don't want to call on Sherlock Holmes, but I know that sometimes I have to. And then just gets very like, Ugh, this guy when Sherlock <laughs> shows up and is himself. Yep. Um. Yeah, I think what I did not care for in this iteration was how he only gets used in service of Mycroft. And again, I. I like that character and I want more from him and just having him show up as a tool for Mycroft Holmes felt like a bit of a waste. Yeah. Although yeah. I did, I did truly love the scene where he and Enola are standing outside the um, carriage answering each other's questions about who knows Sherlock Holmes better. Oh, that was great. I thought that, and that was like the closest he comes to being the Lestrade that I enjoy. I was like, this is, this is it. Um, but think, I wanted yeah. more. I, I think you've hit on, like, why exactly it, because like I said, I tried to distinguish between, like, how much am I just, like, attached to my previous conceptions of the character versus, like, what this is actually doing with them. And I think you've hit, like, why I just like that version of Lestrade, where, yeah, he, like, is just funny and, like, brings, like, a perspective and... Um, yeah, and I, I wanted more of that. And I think ultimately it's important to keep in mind that this is fan fiction. And yeah. I don't mean that in a, der I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I think it's very good. Um, but it is fan fiction. And that means that the, the, the genesis of these characters depend on a particular person's reading and interpretation of them, which just doesn't happen to be mine. Hmm. Yeah. And I would argue, I mean, kind of as we've, like, circled around, like, I think the idea is to kind of reframe these through what would be Enola's perspective. Uh, yeah. And so I think that, um, 
you know, in that context, I guess it makes sense to, like, reframe these characters this way. I mean, kind of thinking along the same lines of, like, I mean, not as, like, dramatic as, like, a movie, like, say, Maleficent, where you're, like, trying to completely turn the the narrative on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you're trying to get at it from a different angle, and... Um, but yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, I had so much fun with that moment where they were like Sherlocking off that I just like wanted more of that. I wanted more of what Lestrade usually does. (laughs) Any other thoughts that we want to address about Enola Holmes? Um, I don't think so. Uh, so... First of all, would you recommend that our listeners watch this movie? Yeah, I think this, you know, it was, there were problems with it as we have gone through, but I, I certainly enjoyed myself. I don't want to act like I did not get, um, some enjoyment out of this film. I think it, I think it did a really good job at at setting a particular tone and setting. Um, I think Millie Bobby Brown was very charming, um. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, I I thought it was a little long. I thought they could have cut about 15 minutes off pretty easily. Um, But I did enjoy it quite a lot. Um, I don't know that I would watch it a second time, uh, but I don't regret the time that I spent with it and have actually defended it to other people who are like, eh, about it already. (laughs) Mm. Um, So yeah, and if they make sequels, I will watch all of them. (laughs) <laughs> I would I would definitely spend more time with these characters. Uh and I have always been a fan of Sherlock Holmes with feelings TM. So <laughs> I I enjoyed that. Um what would you recommend to our listeners uh after they what 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 would you recommend as a companion piece? Yeah, absolutely. I would recommend A Study in Scarlet Women um, by Sherry Thomas, um, which kind of reimagines Sherlock as a woman named Charlotte. um, And is the first of, I think there are five now. um, But um yeah charlotte in the first one it's her her father and sister are accused of a trio of murders um and so she has to kind of clear their name um and gets a you know little band together um of folks who kind of help her start um forming the beginnings of a Sherlock Holmes-ish detective agency. Um, it's very fun. Um, Sherry Thomas, I think, is such a versatile author. She's written this this mystery series. Her background, um, where I first, what the first books of hers I read were actually Regency romance novels, um, and she also recently came out with a um, YA version of Mulan, which was also really good. So I think she's just like a really, I think she's one of the most like, versatile authors, um, and because of that, for being a mystery novel, like, this book has, like, a really good romantic subplot, and just really good character development, and, um, yeah, and like I said, I think we're up to number five now, um, five or six, I'm trying to remember, 
Um, but yeah, A Study in Scarlet Women um, by Sherry Thomas. What would you recommend, Martha? Uh, I would also recommend a uh, different take on Sherlock Holmes. Um, the book I'm bringing to you all today is The Beekeeper's Apprentice by Laurie R. King. Uh, this book is the first in a long-running series about Mary Russell, who in the first one is, I think, 15 or 16. She's a uh, she's a teenager. And she has the same kind of mind as Sherlock Holmes does. So when he runs into her um, on the in the country outside of his country house, um, and the Sherlock Holmes in these books, I should say, is retired. So he starts these books in his late 50s, early 60s, um, is no longer a full-time detective. Uh, but when he recognizes in Mary the same kind of analytical mind as him, he takes it upon himself to educate her and train her in the same kind of uh, deductive reasoning and science and everything that he has learned. Uh, and then she basically gets to come on as his assistant. Um, in the first one, um, I, oh, what is the central? They, it's a really charming series of books. I, there's like, there's a whole bunch of them now. They have um, progressed well into Mary's adulthood. Um, the, the mystery in the first one. Oh, ah, Wikipedia is telling me the series that this novel begins currently stands at 18 novels. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the first one was published in 1994. So I started reading these when I was in high school, and the most recent one was published in 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Um, oh, yeah. Somebody, someone tries to kill uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson through a series of homemade bombs. Mm -hmm. So they have to figure out who is hunting them and to keep them safe uh, and how this is, like matters to England and the Queen at large. One of the things I really like about these books is that they always are very political. Like, even though Holmes is retired, he still very much works for the crown. So a lot of the mysteries tie into um, stuff that is happening in England and the world during this time. So yeah, that uh, my recommendation for everybody uh, today is The Beekeeper's Apprentice. Marin, would you like to tell everybody what movie we are watching for our next episode? Yeah, for our next episode, which Martha and I are both very excited about, we are going to be watching the film that comes out next Thursday on Thanksgiving itself um, called Happiest Season, um, starring Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis, um, about a woman who goes home with her girlfriend for Thanksgiving, or is it, or Christmas, excuse me, well. Christmas. Yeah, I just have Thanksgiving on the brain. Um, <laughs> who goes home with her girlfriend for Christmas and discovers that her girlfriend has not come out to her parents. So I'm very excited. Um, it, as I mentioned, stars Kristen Stewart and Kenzie Davis. Also has um, Mary Steenburgen and my favorite spy dad, Victor Garber. Um, well. I love him so much. I love him so much. 
but also, like Dan Levy and Aubrey Plaza and um, Allison Brie are all in this movie. Yes. Yeah, I have been strongly considering an alias rewatch uh, for winter quarantine. I do own most of the DVDs, so Spy Dad, he's the best. Uh, so yeah, this episode will drop the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So after you listen to this episode, you can go and watch uh, The Happiest Season and reconvene with us in two weeks where we will talk about it. Uh, until then, you can catch our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework?, which updates on the same feed as this one on alternating Wednesdays. Uh, we also share our social media feeds with them, so you can find the, uh, find us on the um, find us at all the places at DYDYH podcast. Um, did you do your homework is of course the show that I co-host with Marin's husband, Pete, um, who edits and produces both of these shows. Uh, you can find me online at all the places at magical Martha, including a newsletter that I do semi-regularly, uh, which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash magical Martha. I am just finishing up my top, my 100 scariest movie moments from 2010 until now. I only have one more issue left to publish. So you would be uh, subscribing at exactly the right time to read all of the issues uh, up to this one and get ready for my final uh, entries to the list. Woo! Marin, where can people find you? Um, yeah, folks can find me on Twitter at a underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet a lot about romance novels and the state of Minnesota. Um, so if those interest you, oh, and maps, a lot of maps, maps. Um, so any of those interested in you, uh, feel free to give me a follow. Uh, anything we're missing that Pete will have to include as a stinger <laughs> if we don't say it now. I don't think so. Yeah, I think. I mean, Pete's gonna have enough editing challenges with this episode. Sorry. It's a gift. We love you, Pete. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in a couple weeks. And until then, just remember that we love you. Excellent. Yeah, I just, for the record, would like to say the lamp just straight up, like, crashed down on the Oh, desk. no. And, like, luckily I got my beer out of the way, but the process of moving the beer jostled it. <laughs>